and one, two, three, four. excited we've been anticipating and building up towards this episode for so many weeks both because we're excited for it and also because it's four people and our schedules are a total nightmare but we finally are recording singled out the single christian experience part two this time not so single edition with our two awesome guests the newberts we have sarah and michael with us tonight and i would love for you guys to introduce yourselves just a little bit. Uh, tell me about what you're doing here in Wilmore, Sarah. Uh, I'm Sarah Newbert, formerly Sarah Burt. Um, I am here because um, I love teenagers and I want to do youth ministry. Um, so yeah, I've been following that calling since I was in high school and now I'm here. Um, yeah, that's why I'm in Asbury. Neato. I am Michael. My last name is also Newbert. Um, Shocker. I know, right? Weird how that works. It's a Christian culture thing. Um, yeah. Uh, I am here getting an MD- I'm here getting a Master's in Mental Health Counseling. I came here originally to get an MDiv, but then swapped it up. Um, so yeah, I'm getting a Master's in Mental Health Counseling. I would like to work with people who have experienced trauma, maybe kids. Depends on how my internship ends up. That's mm. all I got. Good. Thanks. And even more importantly than all of that is... Both of you are married. We are married. And that's why you're on the show this week. Hey. Not for very long, though. We haven't been married very long. (laughs) (laughs) That was a shocker. (laughs) We have not been married very long. We we signed a marriage lease. Uh, It's it's kind of like an apartment. It's a very aggressive We're going to reevaluate in July. This is pretty much our test. If we make this, we'll see. You are very progressive for Wilmar, friends. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) So you guys have some pretty awesome stories. You know, we had dinner together just before this, and unfortunately, you guys missed out on a lot of the awesome conversation that we had at dinner because, man, curry and laughter yeah. doesn't get any better. Sarah cooks some good curry. That's true. That's true. That curry is amazing. I'm still basking in the afterglow of that. <laughs> Thank um, you. But I know that you guys had a couple stories you wanted to share with us. Um, I'm not sure which one of you was going to go first, but this week's a special treat. We get two vignettes into the life of seminarians here at Wilmore. Um, However, these stories kind of predate your time in Wilmore by just a little bit um, because it's going to lead into our discussion of married life here. So whichever one of you wants to go first, take it away. So I'll go first because before me and Sarah started dating, and this is most certainly um, in my less... Um, I don't know, less mature times maybe, um, as far as dating goes. I was looking for a woman who would interact perfectly with all people, including homeless people. And so what I did was... <laughs> so I invited, pure. I was, I was kind of thinking about... I, I had crushes on different people, and me and Sarah were like, just getting to know each other. And so I invited two of those people um, to a homeless shelter, and we cooked breakfast together, and then I sat back and watched them interact with homeless people so that I could compare them. Like a very arrogant <laughs> and embarrassingly so arrogant person, and see how they interacted. Mm. And uh, in a weird way, Sarah won that competition. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a competition, it was just a really weird thing that I did. Did you know you were competing with Sarah? I have friend? no idea. So I told, well, I I told Sarah these stories you. after. So you placed gold in virtue, so you. Yes. Yeah. yeah, she did great. Yeah. But so did that mean so the other person. And it's not even... <laughs> the idea that you have to interact perfectly with, an, with a person is kind of superficial anyways. But 
<laughs> yeah, I did that. So that's how many Sarah's. It's one of the reasons. We it all started dating. there. It all started there. <laughs> in a yeah. homeless shelter. That speaks pretty beautifully to the Christian dating scene. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Because we look for these ideal people. And if they aren't ideal, we think they're better than they are. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, she was. She was ideal. So... Thank you, I guess. Why did you say that in the past tense? She is ideal. <laughs> because apparently we're not going to be married for much longer. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Got to prepare yeah, let's, oh. let's cut that joke. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. All right, so my story um, is several months after we started dating. Um, we were hanging out and we were talking about, it was summer right before our senior year, and we were talking about how the year was going to go. He's He was really busy at Lee, um, and... Uh, it was just going to be a really crazy. We were theology majors and we're studying Greek and all these hard things. And so we we're like, we're not going to have much time for each other. And so he was, you know, processing this and he was like, well, I'll have you. Um, but if anyone knows Michael, you know that he mum- like mutters a little bit, talks really fast. And I heard that as, well, I love you. <laughs> and so I said, I love you too. And so that was our first I love you. He did not correct me in that moment. And so that's when we started saying I love you. And maybe that was just a God thing, like getting us the courage to actually say it. But he told me, he informed me of this story on our engagement night. Right after he had proposed and I said yes, he said, by the way, our first I love you wasn't actually, that's not what I said. And so I was like, why did you tell me tonight? And he was like, I already had you locked in. Like, you would be for sure of my love for you because I I propose. Like, I love you. So. How how long was the window of time between those two of us? Oh, a solid hour. No, no, no. I mean, between the I love you. Over a year. One hour. Over a year. Oh, yeah, well over a year. Yeah. He kept that to himself for over a year. Yeah. Because when do you bring that up, you know? By the way, I didn't actually love you, or I didn't actually yeah. say I love you. The right answer is you, the right answer is you never bring it up. <laughs> Fair enough. But it was a great wedding story, and our pastor said that we were like a romantic comedy, so. Cheers. That's great. It's better than a romantic tragedy. True. See how it ends. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think that both of those stories are a great jumping off point into what we're going to be talking about tonight, which um, after listening to last week's episode, if you haven't, this is a great place to pause, go back, give a listen because Hannah and Sadie did an amazing job um, talking about what it's like to be single in the Christian church. And part of single life um, for a lot of people, for most Christians, is eventually transitioning into dating life, to engage life, to married life. And just the fact that, like, we as Christians have these invisible criteria rules of, like, okay, my specific Christian criteria is how do you interact with homeless people? And none of us are aware of all of these other people's, like, criteria because there's probably ten different crazy spheres um, in any person's life, the people they're dealing with, of, like, what criteria people are looking at in their Christian dating and their Christian friendships and their Christian marriage, like, ideas of idealism. So... I'm really looking forward to hearing a little bit more about y'all's story and, and how we ended up right now at this table in Callis Village in Wilmore. Cool. Throw us in. Give us give us the story. <laughs> oh, we're just going to throw into the wolves like that. <laughs> I think before we do that, we have to welcome to, to Will Morons. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be right. We love that tagline. That's a good tagline. I like it. 
We didn't jump it like Sadian. Hannah did. They did a good job. I think. Oh, you got, should we do it again? We, jumped we can in. edit it. We, we can do it so again. So we do as we go one, two, and on the three, we go, welcome to Will Morons. Okay. We're not going to edit this. Welcome, welcome to, to Will, Will Morons. Morons. Oh, that one was beautiful. That was that good. Was, I feel like we all just kind of clicked good. together on oh, that, that one. Really what a happy good. environment we're in. <laughs> okay, so you guys, when you started out and you were in Lee University mm-hmm. and you had just started dating, so... What was it like um, for you guys in what was another kind of small Christian academic environment to go from being two single people to starting to talk? You know, what was, the, what was it like around that situation for you? Right. Um, for me, it was kind of strange. I hadn't really dated yet in college, and so I had no idea what it was going to be like. Um, and something we were talking about at dinner is Michael was really visible and a leader on campus, and so... It felt like I had a lot of people to meet, and I kind of had, like, a small, like, close-knit group of friends, and then all of a sudden, like, half of campus wanted to meet me, and so um, it kind of felt like he had, like, a bunch of parents that I had to come and meet, Um, but also those people were really great, and I had a lot of fun getting to know them and kind of getting out of my comfort zone of, like, my small little pocket of friends, Um, but it, it did, at some points, feel like I was under a microscope, so... How was it for you? Um, yeah, it was. It was definitely. I feel like it was merging two different sub Christian cultures between our two communities, and so that was because where where are you? You're who's from Knoxville? Who's I'm from, from Knoxville? You're from I'm Knoxville, from Nashville. Yeah. Nashville, Franklin, and then where's Franklin. where's Lee? Halfway, halfway through. Chattanooga okay, area. Yeah. so yeah. you guys are born and raised Tennessee. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> go Vols. They went to yes. Kentucky the other night. I'm a Peyton Manning fan. Go Peyton Manning. Let's go. Anyway, He's a legend. He has his own room at Neyland Stadium with all his stuff in it. Uh-huh. Yeah, pretty neat. But anyways, yeah, it was like merging two different cultures just because um, they were both good. They just um, were just different. So that was that was unique. Um, certainly the Christian kind of expectation that if you date, you're going to get married, which everyone knows and everyone kind of makes fun of. But then the pressure's still there. It was most certainly there. Um, so we kind of hesitated to actually be dating for a hot mm-hmm. minute. Um, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like we went on like, we, we you know you call it talking. Yeah. You know, which is a really interesting concept. What does that we made mean? Up as Christian <laughs> did you guys have the language of getting coffee? Like, oh yeah, heck yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. our first three days yeah. were coffee. I had to coffee, start. I had to start asking forever. girls to ice cream because coffee became so synonymous with. I wanted <laughs> yeah. to know you in oh, a veiled yeah. way, and I realized ice cream. Sorry, gentlemen out there, this is a great little strategy. But I found that ice cream kind of bypasses the conscious mind, and you just all you can think about is, oh yeah, I totally <laughs> want ice cream. Yeah. Everybody it, loves ice cream. It, <laughs> I actually did the data on it. It had like a fifty percent better success rate. So. Well, the thing is, coffee yeah. is way too embroiled in religion. You know, it is the drug <laughs> of choice for Christianity. So if you're doing that, that's like taking communion together. It's basically the Eucharist yeah. without the host. Without the host. <laughs> yeah. our, first, our first coffee date, he had a foam mustache the entire time, and I couldn't, I couldn't tell him. From his latte? Like. Yeah. You used to have a beard? No, I just... No, it's just like... a messy no, drinker. Just, <laughs> no, no olive wrist, but it was, the mustache was all milk. Um, yeah. And I just talked to him like that the entire time. I never told him. That's You're clearly a very compassionate person because you want him over at the homeless shelter <laughs> yeah. and you let him look like a fool for an hour. Is <laughs> it more compassionate to let someone no, look like a fool for an hour? I kind of feel bad. That is the age old question. I would be really mad question. if someone did that to me. Um, so, so you guys were in this talking. So we were in this talking stage for, for a while. And it's funny that it's actually like we went on coffees. We ain't got coffee a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we pretended to want to watch The Walking Dead. Yeah. But then once we were officially dating, he, 
stopped wanting to watch yeah, that. I like Walking Dead. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was interesting, and then um, it's also interesting because you, it's harder to draw boundaries in that talking stage because you aren't dating, so you draw boundaries, but then you're both committed in some weird way. And so, like, we almost quit dating because she canceled on me for her youth, um, which I just took that as, oh, you're not interested. It says we weren't actually dating. Um, we didn't, I just didn't think it was a big deal. I was like, all right, she's not interested, that's fine. But we never talked about it, and I was never going to ask her. What do you mean she day. canceled on you for the youth? She, she was a youth director. Something came okay. up. I, yeah, I was yeah. working at a youth group in college, and something came up with the youth, and I, like, really had to be there. So I was like, hey, I can't meet for coffee anymore. And so... Yeah. In it's your not mind, that I wasn't interested. Yeah, just some small thing. You're like, oh, I'm busy this day. Yeah. Yeah. In your mind, catastrophic end yeah, to like, a budding relationship. Yeah. I mean, I get it. That's fine. You know, you don't like me. I went yeah. cry about it and I got over it. Um, then like a month later, I was like, we never got that coffee. Yeah. Kind of like meeting for this podcast. But if she would have never, she would have never reached out and I would have never yeah. asked her date again. So that's not the interesting part about it, I think. It's just the ambiguity of, of, of what are we actually because once we commit to dating, especially as we're older, because for some reason we put pressure on 24-year-olds. Yeah. Um, but once we're older, I think we feel the pressure to, to commit. Were you aware that, like, he was kind of pulling back and, you know, where were you at that month? Or you kind of just were going through life? I and... didn't realize that we were... Yeah, I was pretty sneaky. I didn't realize we were talking yet. <laughs> oh, okay, got it. I was a bit, so that's another thing. Mm. I was very cautious because of that commitment yeah. level. I was scared of... I was terrified of commitment. I still really kind of am, but... Um, but I was terrified of it, so I was very cautious in that pursuit. Because yeah. I didn't want to, because I, I probably, I think as Christians, we also think that if we reject someone, then we have automatically hurt them. Mm-hmm. And so I was scared to hurt her by rejecting her eventually, so I was just kind of testing it out to see if I was actually interested yeah. before. Mm-hmm. And there's also just a culture of, like, boys and girls being very, like, close and intimate, even though they weren't dating. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of, like, close guy friends, and I saw Michael, like, and he had a lot of close girlfriends that he wasn't dating, and so I kind of just thought, Oh, he wants to be my friend. Yeah. That's what... That's interesting. Was that kind of like in group settings? Or like you had like individual guy friends that you were really close to? Both. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. I mean, I... That's a good part of Lee, I think. Yeah. yeah. I but think... Lee had a high girl population. Mm-hmm. It's like 70, 20 or 70, 70, 30 or... Girls 70, almost... 20 and then 70, 10%, 20 and then 10% undecided. Yeah. It's 2019. Yeah. yeah. Girls were almost Amen. more jealous of like girls stealing, like, guy friends than, like, actual boyfriends. Like, there weren't a lot of, like, uh, she stole, stole my boyfriend, but, like, someone really got mad at me for, like, she felt like I stole one of her guy friends, but... So was, overall, was the dating culture slightly dysfunctional then, in that sense? Or or was That's it That's a leading question. What was the dating culture like? <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think so. People, the people or was like, it just really, I like, close, it, it seemed like a lot of girls. close friendship? Yeah. I think a lot it of close was, friendships, I think. Yeah, there were a lot of friendships, and we were young, and a lot of them wanted to, like, buck the ring before spring tradition or whatever. Um, mm. But with there being so many girls and not a lot of guys, the guys kind of had a lot of pickings, like, if you... Mm. It's kind of yeah. dehumanizing to say, but um, girls kind of had to fight for a relationship, and mm. guys kind of just had a lot of girls to... From stories I've yeah. heard of other small Christian... Um, undergrads so I went to a, a big public school in in Georgia UGA mm-hmm. so my experience was very different but at other small Christian organizations like the guys might jump almost from like one dating relationship to another but that wasn't really a girl's experience right. in college how do you feel like that kind of like shaped your experience in college did you did you see that happening with your friends um I had a lot of friends that were in 
like already relation like they were already in relationships um but a lot of like my single girlfriends like are still single today um hmm. and and some of them I've met people like after college but a lot of people did not meet their spouse at at Lee um so it didn't really affect my friend group as much but I saw it happening like outside of my friend group. Yeah, I think um, it was kind of outside. You just kind of like group. see, I don't know, you can just see it happening, like people fighting over guys and like mm-hmm. just the je- like the jealousy that was experienced towards me. Um, like that's when I really started to become aware of it because somebody confronted me and mm-hmm. told me that I stole her guy friend and I don't see that as how it happened, but I just think that's a very unhealthy mm-hmm. way to view people in friendships yeah. and relationships. Yeah, that's kind of like a crazy conversation that i'm not sure happens in secular institutions no definitely you know yeah Mm. i mean it might be like you stole my boyfriend but not right he stopped hanging out with me and started hanging out with you and because there's so much more pressure in a christian environment on the dating relationship Mm -hmm. you know like in a christian environment you like even what you were saying like you were waiting a long time in this talking period before you even used other words to describe it Mm -hmm. because once it makes the switch there's a lot of pressure that this now has to be an intentional thing. Yeah. Mm. So you you ask him for coffee. How, where does it go from there? Oh, we went on like two more coffee dates and then... Lunch. So really like how we... There was like conflict. We had to start defining a relationship because people were starting to ask questions like of like... People were starting to ask questions. Yeah, people were starting to ask me questions about, about, about where we were and then because I had several different girlfriends... As far as like friendship, sorry. <laughs> How many girlfriends again? did you have at the same time? I had several different close relationships. So let's get this straight. Uh, Marriage at least, multiple girlfriends. <laughs> so, we, so yeah, so we people were like the right guy for this yeah. show. People <laughs> had noticed us hanging out a lot with Sarah. So, I, so some, somehow it come up. And so that's kind of how we actually decided to go on our first date. Um, but then, then we, yeah. I was so overcommitted. It really was The Walking Dead because you started watching The Walking Dead um, with me and another couple, like a friends of mine that were dating. And Michael ended up staying over till like 1 a.m. And we sat on the couch together and stuff. And then he left. And the guy in the other relationship was like, he likes you. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't know what you're talking mm. about. Netflix is the modern catalyst <laughs> for romance. <laughs> it really is. Let's just be real. It sets it off. That's also another tip, gentlemen out there. Ask her for ice cream and then Netflix. Anyway. Yeah. I feel like Netflix. Netflix and Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Netflix and Netflix. It's <laughs> becoming fascinating. Or like her, her favorite show at the moment, like tell her that you've never seen it and then say, oh, we should watch it together. That's a that's what Michael did. Yeah, that's what I did. We're slipping so quickly into dating advice. <laughs> I was never, I wasn't lying. He started. Never seen it. I said I wouldn't do this. <laughs> I'm the single guy at the table and I'm the, the one giving all the prescriptions for romance. What am I doing? Keep talking, friends. Keep talking. <laughs> I am tax form single as well. Both of yeah. us are together on this. Tax form single. That's a good definition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, we did Walking Dead and then we had a DTR walking around our library because we were nerds. Yeah. Um, and then we scheduled a date and I actually double booked a date with a thank you dinner that I had with a different administrator at our school. Um, like one of the vice presidents. Yeah. Yeah, it was a group. But um, but then a really good friend of mine said, uh, kind of slapped me in the face. I think she actually did slap me. Um, who She turned out to be our wedding coordinator. Um, but she slapped me and said, go on a date with her. So we went on a date. And so I started dating. Yeah. I was pretty mad, though. I was like, I don't want to be the girl that takes you away from that dinner. We can reschedule. 
but we did have baseball tickets and Chattanooga lookouts. Thank yeah. God for them. And it's really funny because we went to this Italian restaurant and I love the song scenes from an Italian restaurant by Billy Joel and that we listened to that song because I'm really cheesy. Um, but fast forward like a year and a half on our engagement night, he tries to take me back to that restaurant and I was like, I'm not really feeling Italian. <laughs> yep. So we were at the three. So, so you had this like you had this date plan for this like oh, nostalgia yeah. trip, and she's oh, like, yeah. I don't want, I don't want your. The day before, the day before. I ruined everything. <laughs> so I was at the three a.m. looking at steak restaurants so that we could go and actually enjoy ourselves. But it worked. She said yes. We saw the president of Lee at the steak restaurant we were at. Yeah, we had just graduated, so we were allowed to drink, and we had a bottle of wine and a lot of water, and then we were going to catch the sunset at at a mountain nearby lookout mountain mm-hmm. and um we were driving there and i was like i have to pee right now and so i was like i know where a bathroom is we went there doors were locked and so <laughs> we go to this like tiny trail down to like where the lookout point is like it wasn't a hike or anything it was just a lookout point and i just like went into the trees and like hiked up my dress and peed right before we got engaged um, did you know you People? were he was about to propose to you no, no. no idea <laughs> i thought something was weird because he was being like super weird about his phone and like did not want me to do the directions or change the music because the photographer was like texting him the whole time um so he was acting very odd and i was kind of like maybe he will but i also didn't want to be the girl like oh he's going to propose and then he doesn't and you're disappointed so but you were like maybe it's leading up to it because everything was so romantic or no, like you... Just because I was acting weird. Is just because I was acting weird. Ticked, ticked I mean, off. Yeah. It was kind of like, it was a nostalgia trip because we were back in like, it was right before we were coming to Asbury. We got engaged eight days before moving to Asbury. And so we were like being nostalgic and like in our town that we met and fell in love and all that stuff. So What, what town thought, is that? Chattanooga. Ooh, Chattanooga. Chattanooga. I love yeah, it. We were in Chattanooga. Yeah. My grandfather went to high school there. Nice. At the, the big, um, like really like the Catholic or... It was like a boarding school for the military way back in the day. No it's the super expensive one in Chattanooga. Do you know what it's called again? She probably does. Is it Baylor? So it's private schools. Oh, yeah. I think it is Baylor. Yeah, it's this it like really I had a nice... lot of kids that went there. Shout out notice. to Brock, who's joining us later, who went to Baylor. <laughs> the university. Yeah. You guys really are Tennessee folk. This is awesome. Yeah. So eight days... We were be- faking. Yeah, yeah, so eight days before coming to Asbury, um, proposing in the woods... Yep. Mm. What did you say? Uh, <laughs> well, my friend. So not my, about wrapping Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, I thought about so. So there's a, there's a amazing the end of the Hamilton musical or the beginning of it. Hamilton proposes to his wife Eliza. It's a really good rap. Um, so I thought about just. Please tell yeah, I can, me I can, you I can did sing that. the whole thing. I didn't. Know. Please tell me. Um, I was so nervous, but do you remember the rap? Oh yeah, I could I could do it probably. Um, I won't. I don't have a dollar to my name. Yeah, I could I could do the whole thing. <laughs> Um, that's amazing uh, is that on your bucket list to go see Hamilton oh yeah that's going to be on the remix cut if there's any donations uh, donators here yeah contribute to my they're open to any patrons that just want to fund them we're going to set up a Patreon account for um, Lin-Manuel their dream you want to meet me I would love to meet you anyways um, that's amazing (laughs) back to the story back to oh yeah I didn't uh, no my friend so my friend that was a photographer is also from the downtown Cincinnati area and she was um, a very, her voice carries very well. And she's a very upfront and uh, very assertive person. So she was making sure that we had a spot on the rock to rock repose where the sunset was. And she had made sure that no one sat there by telling them to move every time they did. 
And so the whole mountainside knew that we were going to get engaged. All of them. I was and like, so, oh, he's being so quiet. All of I was really excited. Oh, yeah. I did not want anybody to notice There's what was happening. There's probably 50 people up there, and they all knew what was happening. So we they kinda, cheered. Wow. Yeah, we walked in, and like a hush fell over the crowd, and I was like, all right, well, this is nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then Sarah sits down. She doesn't stand up, so it's not like yeah, the picturesque. Stand up. She was pissed. <laughs> yeah, picturesque thing. But, but yeah, I just said something. I had some speech. Yeah, I think I, oh, I wrote it down. Yeah, this is I? a really funny story, because... He would always ask me, like, if I proposed today, would you say yes? And depending on my mood, I would be like, yeah, I would. Um, and then he would always respond with, here goes nothing. And so even if I was like, no, probably not, or yes. But in that <laughs> moment, like, right before he, like, got on his knee, he was like, here goes nothing. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I forgot about that. That's very sweet. I do what I can. Yeah. Yeah. He's I also romantic. wrote her. He's more romantic than me. I wrote her, so starting a year out for me proposing. Or no, starting 52 days out for me proposing. I wrote her a note every night or something like that. I wrote her a butt ton of notes. Every week. Every week. I wrote her a note saying why I loved her. Ask me if I've read them all. Sarah hasn't read more than 10 of them probably. How many did you write? Well, it was 52. (laughs) You've counted them. You haven't read them, but you counted them. Because it's a week or... I forget what it was. I don't know. It's I think like I 50, it says 52 reasons we should be wed. Yeah. On the binder. She's read the cover. And you only needed 10. Exactly. (laughs) That's so he gave that to me like a month before. So if I ever like felt freaked out, he knows me well, um, that I could read them and like remember and that like has stories from like the whole year that we were engaged and yeah, it's he's very romantic. So when did you move to what, to Wilmore? A year and a half ago. A year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. So we started And then got fall. married this past July. Got so it. then you arrive in Wilmore at Asbury Theological Seminary mm-hmm. as an engaged couple. Yes. Newly engaged. It was actually Newly. it was kind of nice for me because I had a ring, and mm. pushed away the the suitors. Tell me about that. <laughs> what is, what <laughs> does that mean? <laughs> okay, so remember the bonfire that you were talking about last week? Oh, so that was I real. would just put my hand on my face, like, yeah. I mean, I wasn't. He didn't have a ring, so he didn't have that luxury. If a girl showed any he still interest, had several girlfriends at the time. Yeah. <laughs> He was still, he was still like comparing me to Lionel. Yeah, he's like trying to see how... (laughs) Still taking you to homeless shelters. (laughs) New interactions at homeless shelters. You know, he wants to see if you're still like that. You know, once you're committed, so... Wise man. Yeah, it was kind of nice because I could get to know guys and like... um, We definitely like... Starting from... We came to the Merit Scholars Day, which is like the... You interview for scholarships in like March before you move the next fall. And so... um, even that day, like, we kind of separated, not separated, but, like, we didn't want people to, like, know that we were a couple, kind of. I mean, we were, like, would tell people, but we wanted to meet people and not just be, like, closed in on ourselves, because um, it'd be really easy to come to seminary and um, have a boyfriend or a fiancé and just hang out with him the whole time, and so mm. we very much so, like, made it a priority to meet people, make friends, um, and so... We would hang out with people without each other, and he worked a lot when I didn't, and I worked a lot when he didn't, and so we would hang out alone with different people, and that also kind of helped build relationships in the single housing community at mm. Asbury. So, and that's like a big reason that I feel like I've gotten to know the two of you guys like so well in comparison to other married couples that I know, because mm. people that I didn't know before they got married. I feel like the experience is that married couples tend to gravitate towards other married couples. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you guys are this really cool bridge 
in between, <laughs> like, Callus Village and, uh, what is it called, Galloway, Galloway Village? Yeah, where, where Sundo Sun Kim Galloway. and Betty House are. Um, because I don't really know a lot of families that live here in Callus, yeah. but you guys have, like, been so intentional and really awesome about hanging out with us less fortunate single folks. <laughs> or more fortunate. Or, oh. Whichever way you want to look at interesting. it. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we had like... Equally fortunate. Equally, equally fortunate. fortunate. Equally fortunate. There we go. Bingo. There's a we all listen yeah, last week. We are, learning, we are learning things from ourselves, my friend. There you go. Amen. And they Let's are learning learn. things from us, and we are learning things from you. <laughs> <laughs> An exchange of information is occurring. No, I like that. But we also, I mean, we had the benefit of living in Betty and Sunday last year. And yes. um, through m- mutual friends from last year, and then you guys all came this year, um, That's that was our bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, there's not really a bridge if you never live in Betty and Sunday, if you come in married. Um, yeah. Really like the Callus Village and the, communi- the few community events that are thrown. Um, and then there's also the bridge of married people with kids and married people mm. without kids because um, mm. that can also I think that's also a cultural gap though I don't think it's just Asbury because yeah. I mean it's easy for us to reach out and to plan things with both because we have friends in both but it's yeah it's hard it's hard to initiate that jump gap um, but that, I don't know that eventually solved that either because I could easily see an event happening um, where the couples just group together and the singles just group together mm. um, so I think that's a cultural problem that we have mm-hmm because we see it happening in the church, not just at seminary. Yeah. Um, what does that kind of look like in the church to you guys? Well, it's kind of weird because we actually don't go to church together right now. Um, so I, we kind of do both have the experience of being like by yourself at church. Because um, he preaches out of town and I'm in school and need mentored ministry and can't be mentored by my husband. Um and so I go to a different church where I work and hmm. work in the preaching. So you're in the ministry. Master of Divinity program. No, I'm in the MA of Ministry. Oh, that's awesome. For youth and family, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It's like half an MDiv is what I, you know. So um, I still have to do mentored ministry, and so I knew that. And so we don't go to church together. So we actually kind of do experience church life singly. So it seems like you naturally do a, you know, a really good job of being a couple, but also maintaining that individuality. And then you guys did that even while you're mm-hmm. dating and engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What What does that look like? Is that it? Just is that just something you're natural at that you just? Um, and then because I, it seems to me, at least this has been my experience with a lot of my friends is just it's really easy, you know. And maybe this is especially true of guys. I've just seen this when guys start dating, it seems like they just fall off the map. You know, we're mm-hmm. very one track minded. It seems like, and so you know, it'll be like, okay, well, Johnny's dating this girl, so I'll you know. Either I'll never see, see him never. again or I'll see him in six months and we'll be crying and, you know, and drinking together and talking about <laughs> what went <laughs> wrong. <laughs> and praying for him. I forgot about We got a Christian got, audience here. Well, I will be praying for him. So Thank God. Um, I would say it's pretty natural for us. We're both really independent and, yeah, we, um, we're headstrong. And we're also very extroverted. And so friends, mm. I learned very early on that like friends are really important to me. And I actually struggled with like making my significant other important enough to me. Mm. Um, I've gotten better, like I've grown in that with Michael, but in past relationships, 
I'd be like, um, I can see you on Thursday, um, but I have mm. all these plans with my friends. So it's kind mm. of, I think it's partially my personality and, um, I just, I mean, I get really depressed if I'm in a relationship that closes in on itself and mm. I'm not like, so you love space and freedom. Yes. That is how, um, that is how my mom is. Yeah. Yeah. And she loves my love. father. But when he goes on overseas trips, there's a special glow in her face when she has the whole house to herself. Yeah, I get that. Um, But that's something that I loved about Michael is he loved that about me and let me have that space. And he also appreciates that space. Um, I think for me it came out of fear. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of it came out of fear from previous relationships in which I've been kind of enmeshed um, and not individuated. and I just... It's a great counseling term. I uh, do what I can. Sorry, yeah. Um, I have been kind of almost too, like, dependent on the person and, and kind of like what you're talking about where you disappear mm-hmm. for six months. Um, and so I've grown, I've grown in that through a variety of stories and stuff. But um, long story short, I think it was a fear of kind of becoming that dependent again on mm-hmm. anyone. That, and I was busy. But kind of once we did it, once we were that, this, like, we realized we could have friends and have each other then I think um, mm. it was more beneficial. Um, it was just more pleasant to date because we didn't have to give up friends. Mm-hmm. Especially as we're married because, my gosh, when you're married, you're together all the time. It's like we go to the calf and people like w- expect we us to want to sit together. together <laughs> yeah. Which is great. I mean, I love her, but yeah. I, don't, I mean, my goodness, I sleep with her every night. I don't need to sit next to her, you know? <laughs> um, is that bad to say? I sleep next to her. In the biblical sense? I sleep sense? next to her. I sleep next to her every night. I don't just sit next You to know her each other. In the cafeteria. Both yeah. are healthy. Yes. That's um, the same thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. I, I love you guys. I feel like I'm doing the conversation. Like, I'm just getting to know you. I actually have Michael's old room. I'm actually yes. sleeping in 2D or 1D. Is it 1D? 1D? You tell me, man. One yeah, direction? exactly. One, one direction. One direction. <laughs> Dude, there's a poetry to that, actually, now that mm. I think about it. So, and I, maybe, Austin, you can jump in, too. It seems to me like there really is this spectrum where you have two ditches. One is codependence, and one is kind of this extreme independence. Mm-hmm. And finding that middle ground, and people work from those extremes towards an integration and a balance. Um, and it sounds like you guys are more naturally independent, and so there's been this swing to more partnership, more commitment, Um but one of the benefits of coming from this direction is you're able to maintain all those friendships and your individuality and who you are mm-hmm. in your lives. Do you find that makes marriage more exciting when this, like, when you're not always doing everything together? So when you are together, there's this like, kind of catch me up on what you've been doing, or uh, what? How does that? What does that dyna- dynamic look like in your marriage? Um, I would say absolutely because. Um... We're also in a stage of life where we're not working, like, nine-to-five jobs, and, like, you get home, and, like, you're so excited to be with your husband, but, like, Mm -hmm. we have weird schedules, and we have, like, lots of time during the day to be with each other, Um, and so being with friends at night or in the middle of the day is really fun, and then we have something to talk about, Um, and so it kind of prevents this stage of life from being, like, wow, I'm with you all the time, Um, Mm. but... What do you think? Yeah, I think it also, I mean, I think it brings challenges. I mean, I think it's good, but I think it also brings challenges just in, um, like, balancing friendships and, and where you draw lines and making sure you make time for each other. Mm-hmm. That's where I kind of think everybody has to find their own balance. Yeah. Um, like you said, integration. So the integration has worked decently for us. Um, mm-hmm. But... Because we still have date nights and... Yeah. Um, but it's been like... Time together and set apart. Yeah. 
time for each other. So, but we've had to kind of, we've to had to be intentional with that. So I think some mm-hmm. people kind of are intentional about branching out. Yeah, but branching out kind of comes more naturally to us than mm-hmm. than branching in. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so and it's been kind of a, and, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But we notice. I mean, if we don't schedule date nights for two weeks, and yeah, uh, we schedule bad. a date night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. It it's anyway. Any thoughts? For, any any thoughts from you? We got we got the mental health counselors at the table, so I feel yeah. like this is this is your guys' power alley. No, it's really awesome, actually. <laughs> like I love hearing this conversation because you, like Michael, is a little bit ahead of me in the mental health counseling program, and so it, a lot of the lingo that I'm just becoming familiar with, like you, just naturally slip into conversation. Yeah, I took couples counseling uh, right after we got married as well, the semester after. That was awkward. Yeah. That's really you interesting. Kept, like, Wanting to bring it up, like in our in our fights, and I'm Great like, stuff. I do not want your counseling crap right now. Do not counsel me. That's yeah. a dual relationship. Yeah. This is a defense mechanism. I'm sensing projection right now. Here's a book by Freud. You should read it. <laughs> Please don't ever give your spouse a book yeah. by Freud. I am not your father. Oh, sorry. Wait, what? That's definitely had to be like that's been a boundary in our marriage. Of like, you're not my counselor. You're my husband. So yeah, it's Ooh. important. It's it's interesting. I think sometimes. Um, I think this is also true of pastors, but like it's true of counselors as well. It's like, it's almost like when it, when it comes to other people, they have this incredible self awareness and ability to like bring them to where they need to go, but they don't know how to like kind of apply that to themselves in like an, an emotionally healthy way. Like, I don't think I could be married to a psychiatrist that's just like constantly like reading me. Like, so I actually have a, I have a friend back in Casey who's a psychiatrist and just has a really amazing toolkit, not only like in terms of mental health, but even pharmacology and like medicine. It's just like, it's just unbelievable. But um, their rule is like, they don't, like they take off their, their counseling hat with personal relationships. Like mm-hmm. it's a hat. And like when they're not in the offense, when they're not in they're like doing their clinical work, they, they don't even, they try to like not even think like a counselor. <laughs> like what yeah. is that? It's just interesting. You guys at home missed the really beautiful physical explanation there because Sam took his hat off here at the table to, yes. to demonstrate that. I just want you all to have that vision. I'm starting to do that. I'm, I'm starting to do like physical acts and pull, oh, look at that. It's just so that natural recording for you now that you don't even realize that not everyone in our audience is here in the room with us. We are anticipating the day where we have cameras. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the other day, in a similar vein, I was with my sister, and um, there was like a couple that we were, you know, when you're out to eat, you see people at a at a table, and they're very obviously on a first date, and so you start to, you know, talk about what what might their story be, just like the coffee? movie date night. Yeah, they're on their coffee. No, and so my sister was making up a story, and I started to talk about some things, but I was referencing all like the. Um, physical behaviors they were showing, like the way that they were talking to each other. It was all very meta. And she was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Like for me, it's so hard to take off that because I'm in these books reading about this stuff all the time that I watch these people on the date. And all I could think about was that my sister was like, so when you're talking to people, like how often do you see these things you're reading in your psych textbooks? And I'm like, it's all I can see right now. <laughs> it's like the matrix where you're just seeing like the green data spreading across the screen. And you're like, Yep, there's some discontent. Yeah, this person wants to leave. This person's having a great so time. So funny. Yeah. It's just over and over. I can't wait till your future kids, if that is a, a goal or plan of yours, 
go through adolescence. You're, I think mental health counselors and pediatricians like are some of the most strange people when their kids go through through adolescence. Good luck. My, I won't, I won't, I'm going to be a youth minister. I, I yeah. know someone, kids. These kids are going to be so dissected. I know, I know someone who literally, like they did, they're a pediatrician and they had to talk with their 12-year-old and the talk was very much from like a biological standpoint. It was like, so this is like female, you know, you know, sexual genitalia. This is male sexual genitalia. Like, here are these charts. Read it. What you're gonna and, the, and he starts explaining the science of. It. He's like, what you're gonna do is you take your. We may edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> we never do. <laughs> I'm just starting to realize. Wow, this is like actually really biological. He's like, you're gonna take your sexual genitalia and you're actually gonna create a friction, and then at a moment of climax, you're going to. <laughs> Exchange bodily fluids. That is sex. To a twelve-year-old, yes. And the twelve-year-old's like, I understood a couple of those words. (laughs) So we're definitely adding this out. Okay, no, we're leaving this in. So when you're like looking at all of these principles, like you guys, like both of you are in grad school, you're thinking very critically about a lot of the things that you do. Like Mm -hmm. it's impossible not to kind of diagnose your own behaviors, your own thoughts, your own whatever you're doing. So when you look back at your past as a couple, you know, there's like several terms that just kind of jut out to me immediately as things that aren't discussed in non-Christian relationships. Like you talked about in the talking phase, you had to figure out how to establish boundaries. You guys talked about a talking phase. You talked about the way that people reacted to you when you were dating and about that sort of development until you came here and then you had to wear the ring to scare off suitors. You know, these are all things that are kind of unique to the Christian experience in relational growth. My question to you guys would be, of the things that you can look back and see, this is probably a little different from what a non-Christian couple would go through. What are the things from that that you really appreciate, that you think are awesome? And what are some of the things you think maybe aren't the most healthy? Because you're going to be doing counseling. You're going to be doing youth ministry. So romance, dating, marriage. Yeah. This I'd is going to hear be stuff you're going to be dealing with for a while. Um, I like that in the Christian community, there's like not an expectation of the hookup culture. Because hmm. um, like I did, I had friends at UTC, just like a public school, not private Christian. And so I'd go there and like, there would just be guys that like expected you to like sleep with them. And I didn't really appreciate that and, like, having Hmm. to figure out a way to turn them down. And so, like, I think I appreciate That's one thing I can think of immediately. Um, Do you have anything? I mean, I think think it spreads farther just to, like, um, and I think, I don't think you have to have a shared ethic to a degree, but I think you have to have similar ideas of what good is. At least for us, we needed, for me, I needed a similar idea of what good is. What is that? And so part of all kinds of things, like, just an ethic. And so, like, being in a relationship with, I could I could assume that we were working for the same position of what good is. Whereas in a secular environment, we may have different ideas on what good is and have to navigate that a lot. Mm-hmm, um, true. Even things like, and not everyone's like this, of course, but you just don't know. So, like, things like monogamy or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, people just have different definitions of different things. Um, but because we're in the same, especially Christian subculture, we had, we had a pretty close, pretty similar ethic, a pretty similar value system from the beginning. Mm. Um, so I liked that because it was clear um, and I also liked um, that it was a very like intentional get to know you culture mm. um, because it made I think it made dating a little bit safer 
um, and a little more intentional. Like yeah. we didn't just go hang out. We like mm-hmm. and we just we like took time, which I guess you can do that in a secular culture, but it may not be mm-hmm. the standard or like the expectation similar to what it was at Lee maybe. So you felt like you could really develop a, a strong friendship. So maybe the pitfall is this ambiguity, but mm-hmm. the strength side is you get to really develop a friendship before you're like, yeah. okay, we're yeah. you know, we're exclusively romantic yeah. with each other. I love that we are friends before and then realize that we yeah. have feelings for each other later. Yeah. And I think the pitfalls another pitfall is certainly the idealism that comes with Christian or it comes with Christian dating, like you kind of mentioned in the beginning, like me expecting her to be like flawless at a homeless shelter, like that's ridiculous. <laughs> and I think like we have this like God knows if she'd have known you were doing that, she might have dropped oh, you. Oh, oh she yeah. would have. That's oh, messed up. Oh yeah, she would have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She would have dropped me quicker than that than I love you thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think yeah, um, it's just like the the idea that we have to be this um, that like love. As, like we're waiting for the perfect bride, you know, mm-hmm. um, like the comparison of God to the God to the church and marriage are so similar or so frequent. But I think sometimes we like expect it to be that simile in such a clear way. Like there's mm-hmm. this perfect relationship or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think if you set yourself up like that, you're going to get let down. Um, unless, I mean, maybe other couples have lived up to the expectation, but we really yeah. haven't. So that's been like a pitfall. I think of that culture as well. It's like mm-hmm. kind of waiting for that one person Mm-hmm. Um, and in reality, I, don't, I just don't you think... You can make a marriage work for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. the fun part about the Christian linguistics is me and Sarah are... Uh, when we took a premarital counseling assessment, and we were an unconventional couple, um, which means we <laughs> no, have... conventional. A conventional couple, which yeah. means like... Not unconventional. We have a very high rate of marital insatisfaction, dissatisfaction, and... Um, we typically stay together, but we aren't satisfied with our marriage, according to the relationship type that we were when we got engaged. Um, we're pretty satisfied with our marriage. What is a conventional couple? Uh, they, they don't communicate very well. So you don't communicate very well internally. It's like a long Conventionally? Assessment. That's the definition? Mm-hmm. A conventional couple is a couple that doesn't communicate. Yeah, so it's a survey that they... Is a, you basically take a poll like or a survey. Preparing it rich. Preparing yeah. Okay. And so based on the results, they have like... A conventional couple is one who answers questions this way. And those couples typically don't communicate very well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so sad. I think that like our personalities don't communicate very well, but we like force it a little bit yeah. and do communicate well. Okay. Um, we have to. It's very a long drawn out process for us to communicate well when things really need to be communicated. But yeah. mm. there's definitely the struggle there in communication, but we make sure it happens. Yeah. yeah. And I just think it's an example of like you just don't like that perfect that that need for a perfect person or a perfect relationship. Mm. We're kind of waiting mm. for it. It's great and it's novel, but I don't think that it has to be there. Like sometimes I think mm-hmm. at least some Christian yeah. cultures will place it there. It's kind of an unhealthy standard to yeah. Yeah. Like your relationships. Especially on females, I think, because mm-hmm. of yeah. the purity culture. Yeah. Um, oh, I think wow. all of it is weighing down on females of like, mm. we have to dress a certain way, yeah. we have to be a certain way. It's mm. more of a big deal if we lose our virginity versus a man. And um, yeah. yeah, I think... That's definitely one of the most unhealthy things that I see in Christian culture and dating and mm. all of that. So, and just the fact that we don't talk about sex very much at, mm-hmm. at yeah. church. Oh, um, yes, definitely. Or even romance, just kissing, yeah. making mm-hmm. out, any, every, yeah. any like, and everything. Yeah, like what are the, because yeah. if you're not supposed to have sex, there's a lot of other things that can happen mm-hmm. between two people. And so, what are the lines there? What is 
sinful. What is, yeah, and what is, yeah. like, even our definition of sex, we don't talk about the different kinds of sex, and that's, you know, we just don't talk about any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very... So it sounds like that ambiguity, it not only is very normal in the relationship development, Mm -hmm. like at the beginning, but also there's just an ambiguity fundamentally about these topics in the church Mm -hmm. that we don't discuss them. And I find, ironically, a lot of times when churches do try to address them, they're kind of working with their preconceived notions. And so even addressing them can become collateral damage as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We really have to, you know, rethink... um, you know, how we go about this, especially, you know, with teenagers and with college students, I think it's a very important age. And we, you know, we're very used to the, maybe let's, let's speak in generalities, this secular pitfall, which is, um, awakening the romantic sexual, you know, you know, side of our humanity to a too young age with no restraint. You know, there's, there's that pitfall, but there's also this pitfall of suppression as well, where we, we're so concerned with, you know, um, our child. It, what, there's one thing like our child, you know, having, you know, sex at a, a young age in an unhealthy way and, and all the consequences that could come from that, you know. But we're, we're also scared that they're not going to have the wisdom and maturity to pick the right spouse. And so many people have seen people marry people that really, you know, were unhealthy for them. And so there's this kind of fear. And so it's, it's not only our self-imposed idealism like you. Mm-hmm. It's also like the parent is imposing the ideal on the child yeah. and doesn't give the child the space to, to go through that process. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's ironic because like I went to, to kind of throw in my two cents. I went to a high school where we weren't allowed to date. So it was part of the, po- the pri- private Christian schools. It was part of the policy was... You yeah, couldn't date. Whoa. <laughs> and I would say one of the, the, the beautiful things that came about it from that is it created that, like, that uh, safety for, uh, for friendship. And um, one of the things I actually really miss kind of going from high school to other environments, especially Christian environments, is girls are always assuming that any type of conversation or charity or just fun or anything is this like, you want to marry me, like... I will shun you or you want, you know, you want my babies. You want to go on a date. Like, you know, it's like, it's just like, and so rather than just like in high school, I had like lots of like amazing friendships that I really loved. So that was kind of a, a good thing. But the negative thing is it, it really, um, in, in my opinion, it, it keeps kids from like really opening up those areas of their life. So for me, I think I had like a lot of pride going into college, like that I had never kissed the girl before. And, you know, or I had met, like, because, you know, for me, this was like a badge of of purity. And I think that, like, purity culture really does, I think uh, women carry it more, a lot more, like, a lot more um, heavily. But I think it also, it, it kind of, it can really, and this is so, like, different from secular culture, but it, it really does shut guys down as well. Um, And so I kind of look back, I'm like, why, why was this a sign of pride for me at 20 years old, you know, that I that I had not really dated much or that I had not kissed a girl or like when in reality, I look back and I'm like, this is, we need to be more human friendly and natural about just romantic relationships. Like I, mm-hmm. I remember even like in junior high and high school, like not acknowledging that I had crushes on girls because I thought that was a bad thing. Wow. Wow. So, wow. so, so like here, but my <laughs> so point sorry. is, no, so, but and, and, and the truth is there was look, look, you know, and that kind of changed for me, my senior year of high school. And, um, but I, but I think, um, I guess my, my bigger point is, you know, how, how do we, how do we navigate 
these type of these kind of processes because I think it does produce this ambiguity at the beginning of a relationship where you know I'm afraid to tell a girl hey I like you let's go on a date you know and I what I'll say is I and you know I think that that you know that why can't a friendship start that way like it's not a ton of pressure to be like hey you're really cute you're awesome you want to go on a date you know like and so I like for me that was like a no-go so I had to kind of live in these like long, drawn out, ambiguous phases, um, and so you know I'll, there's stories behind that, but I'll, I'll I'll leave it there. But so I don't know. I've kind of thrown up a huge volleyball from my experience because I'm not married, and so you know I can't I can't go there. But uh, I feel like because you guys are you know six months plus you know into marriage, you're you're really this uh, is it more than that? No, that's that's right. Um, you guys have this window of that early stage of getting to know each other, dating, engagement, and the beginning of marriage, which is a really important season. So, what you know, um, take it from there. Yeah. I'm just curious. Um, we had a friend at Lee, actually, who um, was just, he almost intentionally lived counterculturally to the Christian culture. Um, and he would just go up to girls and be like, hey, I like you. I want to go on a date. And it would freak them out. <laughs> but I was kind of I, I on his side. Like, I wanted, I wanted that to be the culture. Like, it doesn't have to be a proposal. It doesn't have to be this intense relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I really felt bad for him because I was like, he's doing a great thing and, like, putting himself out there. And being very countercultural, some of the things were a little silly. What he would try to do, um, but pick that up lines. <laughs> no, not pick up okay. lines. Just like the things he would wear, and like <laughs> I so hope he, he listens to this. Full on beatnik, like he was just against. Yeah. At one point, he he grew his hair out like down to his shoulders, and he like cut it really short, except for one like Padawan braid. <laughs> God, that's bless the him. kind of thing that he would do. I like but, the Padawan braid though. I, like I didn't, but uh, neither did you, his you mother. You can still do that. <laughs> I can't do that. I'm balding. No. <laughs> <laughs> have you tried a real game? You guys should have an advertisement. I thought about real game. Austin. <laughs> y'all, y'all should get paid. Um, but yeah, I really wish that like girls would get on board with that and like. But I don't. I don't remember him having a success story with that. But he was very. I mean, there's an art. Like you know, yeah. you want to anyway. I Why think, is this turning into me giving all the tips? Take <laughs> girls to ice cream. Um, just kidding. Stop listening to his advice. <laughs> I think part of it, too, is just a shame. I think shame is kind of what you dance around with this stuff. Yeah. And I think that we associate, if a girl says, I don't want to date with you, it's because you aren't her ideal person, which means you suck. Which isn't like, that just doesn't make sense. If a girl doesn't want to go on a date with you, there's all kinds of reasons why. Yeah. But I think because, and I don't think it's just, maybe it is just Christian culture. But I think partly because we put so much pressure on people to get married. My Lord. Like, even a parent that wants their kid to marry this perfect person. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, yeah. the mom is still... I mean, even under that, the assumption, you're going to get married. It may be somebody sucky, but at least you're going to get married. Mm-hmm. But that's not... I mean, that's not necessary. Yeah. Um, but even... So, yeah. I, I think it's overall, though, just um, just because you don't want to go on a date with someone that leads to rejection and kind of an exclusion from the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, God forbid you ask someone out in your friend group. Because they say no, yeah. then you're somebody's gonna have to leave. You've blown up your friend group. Yeah, mm-hmm. mm. yeah. But I was actually part of a community at Lee that didn't do that. So I dated somebody for gosh a year and a half or so, um, and then we were both on leadership of the same organization, and um, we continued to be in that organization. 
Mm-hmm. So there was still the shame there, and I don't know. I don't know they handled that super well, um, but I think we handled it decently. Um, and we were the organization was able to stay together. We were both still part of the friend group, um, and so that part of it was really was really helpful. Yeah. But I'm, I'm trying as you were telling that story. I was trying to think of what made that friend group unique that allowed that to happen. Hmm. Um, but I think it was really just sincere love for both of us, and then honest communication. I mean, as soon as we broke up, we let them know and kind of let them know where the boundaries were. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying to think of what that would look like with just the asking out. Um, so yeah. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the podcast. We're about to get back to Michael and Sarah. We have about 30 minutes left, but we want to make a quick announcement about our next podcast episode. That's right. The project we've been working on, one we're excited to show you, is on personality and personality theory and everybody's home child favorite, the Enneagram. Yes, we're excited. It's bound to make some of you slightly uncomfortable. Some of you are going to love what we're going to have to say. But when we're talking about the Enneagram, that's just how it is. I can't wait to make everybody so uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see you soon. Back to Michael and Sarah and a little bit of us. Thanks for listening. Um, I think I think that we associate. I think that if, if we aren't dating, maybe if I ask you to date me and you say no, Samuel, then we can't be friends. And I think, or if we are friends, there's always that awkwardness there because I'm not good enough for you. When in reality, <laughs> dating isn't something, in, at least to me, and I, I don't think it should be. Mm-hmm. Dating shouldn't be something in which pe- only people who are good enough for each other can date. Because that kind of goes back to idealism. Yeah. I think dating should be something in which we're compatible and so we date, or we're mm-hmm. friends and so we date. Yeah. And eventually marriage, at least for us, is something mm-hmm. in which I could spend the rest of my life with you. Because you change, I mean, we haven't changed that much in six months, but you, I mean, books say that you change so much in the marriage that you weren't even the same people 20 years down the road. Yeah. And so if we're just basing on being good enough for each other, I mean, mm-hmm. my God, what if one of us gets depressed or one of us has a trauma or something, you know? Yeah. That's not a fair standard. I, but I think that's the standard by which we accept dates. Yeah, I, I remember a phrase I often hear a lot um, is this idea of, like, she's out of my league. And something I've always told the dudes is, like, dude, just stop believing in leaks. <laughs> like, yeah. like this is not this is not how human beings work together. Yeah. Um, and if there's a girl that doesn't want to be with you because you're in a lower social class or you know isn't physically desirable, or whatever, like this is not a person you want to be with. Like, the, you know, the relationships that thrive are because of not only that attraction but also that just personality connection, interest, and values. And just like, mm-hmm. there's just something here. A lot of it is intuitive and just a connection. So, but I, I think with the whole idea of you know, rejection with asking people out, it ult- it ultimately stem- stems from a place of insecurity. And something I've had to to kind of flip a switch as I'm asking girls out and sometimes saying yes and sometimes girls are saying no is ultimately it's just a really big compliment. And if a girl says, nah, I'm not interested in you or goes on a date or two and is not interested in you after that, you just paid a girl a really awesome compliment. And if you do it from a place of security, um, you're not only honoring that person, typically you, they actually grow in respect for you and you become more desirable. I mean, if you do it in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I've just like, and I've also just had to realize, you know, as a, as a guy, every girl I don't ask out, I'm being selective. So if I ask one girl out and she's selective back with me and goes, I'm not interested in you. It's like, well, this is what we do. We're selective as human beings. So this isn't a reason to, to, you know, like, like have an existential crisis and think maybe I'm not a desirable yeah. person or I'm not going to, not going to be a good spouse. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. I have a question for the guys. How yeah. do you feel about girls asking you out? Man, I wish that that was so much more acceptable. Sam just gave the double thumbs up. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think that um, these ideas of guys having to be the ones to initiate every step of the relationship, really it, what it does is it holds back the organic development of the relationship. Um, because that's not how you want your marriage to be. You don't want your marriage to be completely dependent on the movements of the man. You know, maybe if you lived in the 1800s, that's how society worked. But ours doesn't. And I don't think that there's a lot of people who think that that is a better way to do meaningful relationship. It's so much more of a back and forth. And so much of that, like going all the way back further in our conversation, when you were talking about um, sort of like the when you were coming into to Asbury and being able to meet with other people, and we've talked about in past episodes where like as you get older and you're single, not being able to interact with other people as much, there's this idea that men and women can't be friends. You were talking about like if you get the rejection, it blows up your friends group. And that's so true. And that's not just a specific thing to Christian groups, though it happens in a very high intensity there. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of data to support the idea that men and women can't be friends. But we've kind of convinced ourselves of that. There is a societal pressure to say that if guys and girls are hanging out, it is for the purpose of finding mates, you know? And in Christian environments, if guys and girls are hanging out, generally it's either because they're married couples, so they have their mates, or they're single people and they're playing this game to try and mm -hmm. find one. Mm -hmm. And so if you make the effort to say, hey, I think that it would be cool to go on a date with you. Whether you go on that date or not, there is such a high pressure for it to have to succeed because if you make that move, whether it's the girl asking the guy out or the guy asking the girl out, and the answer from one party or the other is no, it means that you can't be friends anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if one person has a difference in that power dynamic, then no longer is that relationship viable as a friendship. Mm -hmm. And that is so destructive, not only to friendships and to friendship groups, but to the entire organization that we have as a church. Mm -hmm. Because when we have leaders of Christianity like Billy Graham, who's a person I massively respect and love his teaching, but he has the Billy Graham rule, where he will, as we've discussed before, never be alone in a room with a woman. Because like you were talking about, there's this purity culture that puts the weight on the woman that... Guys just give in to things that they wouldn't want to do, the things that are unhealthy very, for them. It's a very fatalistic view of men. Men, it's that a men fatalistic can't view of human be kind. Sexually restrained and virtuous and integrated, and and be able to professionally relate with women without crossing a line. That's a yeah. very fatalistic view. And of that men. and that women are <laughs> either fully chaste or just fully debaucherous, <laughs> that you cannot be 
you know, a individually human, individuated, I can't say these words as well as you can, <laughs> human being, say that you mumble, I'm mumbling, you just, it, it, like it's an impossibility to just be a human being in development, and that human beings in friendship mm-hmm. groups are in development and trying to figure out which direction they're going, and like you said, that it's a huge compliment if you say, hey, I think we'd have a good time on a date, because even if you don't, that means that there was a point where you had such a high opinion that you're like, let's hang out one-on-one to try and figure this out. And if we realize, if we do figure out that we're not meant to be romantically involved, that we can still appreciate the friendship that we mm-hmm. had up to that moment yeah. and continue on on that yeah. path instead of cutting ties, which is so frequent in the church. Yeah. It's, it's weird. There's a conflation between the emotional space that's needed after you've been in a long committed relationship and it's broken off. You know, if you've dated someone for two or three years, it's probably wise to make a pretty clean break for lots of reasons. But we conflate that with someone that you've gone out with on one date or has simply shown interest in you. Wow, and that's yeah. an incredible conflation that I have to cut off from you because you've shown me interest. Yeah. Um, when in reality, that shouldn't have to be the case. Um, you know, in terms of getting back to your question about girls asking guys out, um, I, would, I would say ultimately... It, it really comes down, I found this, it really comes down to the girl. There are some girls that that's their personality profile. And if a girl asks me out, it's something I'll really consider. Like, cause something that I, I decided a long time ago is I did see some girls really sizing guys up too quickly and not going out. And I, I think there was a lot of quality. Actually, one of the reasons sometimes I've encouraged guys to get to girl, to get to know girls longer before they ask them out is so that the girl can see more sides of their personality, who they are, so that there's more interest. Because there, I have some guy friends, I'm like, dude, you like, you're like a solid five, but then once someone gets to know you, you're like a solid nine and a half. Like, you know, no, and, you know it, sound, it sounds really, it's funny, I said earlier, let's not talk leagues, but now I'm rating human beings. But let, let's all be honest, we like, but that's the truth of most people. Most people, because who we are just are like external personality and our attraction is only one layer of our humanity. To, so to say that, oh, you go from a five to a nine is not, that's, that's almost every human being. One uh, percent of the population, you know, is, you know, they're already at a nine. And half those people drop the fives once they start talking. That was really mean. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> you should redact uh, that. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. It's, it's a caricature. Bitter much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm kidding. But the, but the point is, I, I'll tell guy friends, I'll say, hey, like, you know, let her get to know you a little more so she can see more sides of you and then ask her out. But at the same time, I had this kind of sense of, man, I wish more girls would just say yes to one date, go out on the date. And then if they don't like them, they can say, hey, thank you so much for the date. Really means a lot. I don't think I'm interested. And because I wanted girls to, sh- to show me that, I went, how immature am I to say that I wouldn't show a girl that, that I wouldn't want to give a girl the same benefit of the doubt that I want a girl to give to me. And so I can't, I, I probably shouldn't say this. It won't, I don't think it'll make a big difference, but I kind of came up with a policy in college, which is if a girl asks me out, I'm going to go on at least one date. Um, and I've done that. I've gone on blind dates. I've, and I've had a couple girls ask me out. And the truth is the first one or two times it's uncomfortable because as a guy, you're not used to it. The truth is just being asked out by anyone is uncomfortable the first few times. Um, but I, it's something that I've become comfortable with. And, and so I think we should just be more open to initiation from both sides. 
And it, we have to lay down our preconceived notions. We have to lay down our pride. We have to lay down our conventions of what a traditional man is and a traditional woman is. Um, and that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of women out there that genuinely want men to be straightforward and to be the initiator. I think there are a lot of women that, that want that. But I think there are also some women that are like, man, I'm just going to cut through the BS and I'm just going to like be like, hey, do you want to go on a date? Yeah. And um, I, think, I think there's men on the other side, too, that want women to be like that. Yeah. Want to be the yeah. initiator. Yeah. So that was you. So asking yeah. him to coffee him. <laughs> we never you know, got like, for coffee. Yeah, I would, I would love to hear your answer to this question, Sarah. Um, I've never asked out a guy, but I'm not opposed to it. And um, for other women. Yeah, what would yes, you for mean? other women. I, <laughs> wish that. Yeah. I do have, I, I would support a friend in doing that. And I think like if me and Michael weren't married, I wouldn't like, I've grown a lot since we got married. And I think I'm more in a place of like, I would have the confidence mm-hmm. to do that now. Um, but like before. Yeah. She's I also would, been a driver of a lot of like this stuff. Like, like the, I love you thing. Like she's been <laughs> in like, the, it was like I proposed um, I'm not sure how I feel about that culturally, but culturally the man proposes, right? But I propose, but she would be, we, we have both had open conversations, a very intentional conversation about what marriage looked like and what engagement looked mm-hmm. like. So she's been a mover in our relationship, I think. Because mm-hmm. I think, I think if you think the man's never pursue, then I think that sets up a more traditional or more patriarchal understanding of marriage. Whereas if you equally take steps and investment in building relationships, and that kind of lands you more in egalitarianism. Mm-hmm. Um, I just gestured towards Austin because he mentioned that before. And I, and I think it's just reciprocity is such a huge thing. That's what every relationship's built on. And I think, you know, for example, like you had shown enough interest, but you felt like, you know, she, you, 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 you took it as she doesn't like me. And there's kind of this traditional mode. Well, the dude's going to pursue to the very end, no matter how many no's she gives. and Which is stalking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is, yeah. which you know, it, it makes for a great, ro- it makes for a great romantic, you know, comedy when like Bradley Cooper, you know, or some like really, you know, speaking of the, you know, 10 and a half guy, um, you know, like is like pursuing to the end. But when it plays out in, you know, when it plays out in everyday life, it's like, this is creepy. <laughs> right. I think one of the big takeaways from this is just for us to learn how to be okay being comfortable in our relationships. And if a relationship is uncomfortable, you know, is it someone that you were comfortable with and maybe just this recent, you know, event has made it uncomfortable? How do you go back to that? But but not um, expecting people to meet these either total ideal situations or completely ambiguous situations yeah. that's what we, we were talking about the difference between the pitfalls of ambiguity and idealism and in christianity recently we've kind of fallen into this pit of ambiguous idealism um yeah. there's a couple of books that i feel like have really shaped christian dating and pre-marriage culture over the last decade and one of them is kissing dating goodbye and the other is redeeming love um, Kissing, Dating, Goodbye, the author of that's already come out and kind of redacted all of the statements of the book and apologized mm. for the effect that it's had on culture. If you're not familiar with it, it's essentially saying, you know, Christians shouldn't date. They shouldn't kiss. They shouldn't do anything other than a very formal courtship before they get married. And not a lot of people took that book to heart, but it was so salient in the upper echelons of fundamentalist Christianity that it kind of trickled down 
into mainline Christianity and into just regular Protestant culture that there was sort of a um, whacking of the finger at dating culture and looking at secular people's dating culture as an inappropriate thing. And so Christians have to come up with different lingo, like pursuing. In courtship. Courtship. Or talking. No, there's not a lot of people who say coffee. courtship. But Guys, <laughs> remember ice cream. Coffee. Yeah. Ice cream is the, is the new way. <laughs> ice cream is the new coffee. Talking yeah. is on both sides of the culture. Though. And yeah. that book, even though the author of it's come out and said, no, the, the damage has been done. It's salient to culture. And the second one's redeeming mm-hmm. love, which is um, really a story of, oh man, I'm forgetting the book of the Old Testament where it's the... Hosea and Hosea, Gomer. Hosea and Gomer. Yeah, and so... There's this picture that was painted, and I don't think the author of that book intended the effect it had. But the effect was that a lot of Christian people expected that the girl um, was meant to be pursued by Christ himself, who who Hosea represents. He does not represent the man in a relationship. He represents Christ in the universe. And when you expect men in relationships to be Christ, you're going to be really disappointed because they're still just humans. Now, that doesn't mean that you should allow men to get away with horrible things or bad behaviors or with being jerks, but it's to say that the idealism expected when you think that your significant Mm -hmm. other needs to be Jesus is never going to make Mm -hmm. a healthy relationship. Yeah, and I I would say also, because I feel like one of the things we can easily do is drive a wedge between secular culture and Christian culture. I would say this idea of idealism and ambiguity are actually very normative in secular culture too, but it just looks like it in a different environment. For example, I think that because of technology, like dating apps and these things, because we're exposed to a broader pool of potential like desirable people, it actually kind of creates a a deeper idealism. And, you know, um, sometimes uh, there's there's this kind of, we're kind of far removed from this day where I saw recently Hacksaw Ridge, but it's just, he's walking in, he sees the nurse and goes, you know, I'm gonna marry her. I'm gonna marry her, and like yeah. he marries her. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, it could this it like it, it it's very today. It's like, well, you're in this small town. You've only seen six women. Like, what are you doing? You don't know who you are. Like, you know, and so I think the the more we have to think about our identity and who we are and what we're looking for, and we're like, you know, dating tech, you know, technology is can be really amazing. I know so many people that have found, you know, their partners, you know, or had really meaningful dating relationships from that. But it does kind of perpetuate um, an idealism that we're always trying to conform to an ideal. What photos am I putting up? Am I writing this perfect bumble caption? You know, or, you know, you know, and it's as if, you know, um, you know, I loved recently someone like a dating expert said, like, no one has game on dating apps. Like, just you just don't have a good game. Just like be yourself and just like let the chips fall. But there's this idealism, but also, you know, maybe there's this ambiguity because we're so afraid of romance and sex. In secular culture, there's this ambiguity because it's just romance and sex is just so normative from the get-go. And so... Well, sex is, but romance is completely, like... That's true. Misunderstood and no one's coming at it from the same place, but they're meeting at sex and having a complete misconnection of romance. True, yeah. The interesting part of idealism, though, is is studies are coming out that people are having less sex across across the board. And I think one of the reasons they're suggesting as to why is that is that... When there's less time because we're just you know swiping left mm-hmm. or right or whatever, but I think also that we do have these perfect images of the men we want, right? This like guy with a picturing 
somebody at the seminary. I'm not gonna say the name, but this like perfect and the guy. girl and the girl we want. Uh, yeah, or the, or, yeah, the, or the, the perfect girl. Both, both ways, yeah. right? And I think so because we aren't selecting them. I want to hear later who this perfect uh, guy is. Yeah, you gave you, you, you gave a hypothetical of you know going on a date with me and he's describing rejected. himself. <laughs> um, but anyways, I, you know, and I think because we have this ideal image, we we just choose no one, and that sucks, right? Yeah. And so I think. And I think just the idea, if you're holding someone else to be perfect, you're holding yourself to be perfect. And you hate yourself, you're not. Mm-hmm. When God isn't telling us to be yeah. perfect, as Western in school is, God is telling us to, to try. Mm. Um, and so as yeah. long as the person you're pursuing is trying their best to love you and to be a decent human being, mm. and you're compatible, I mean, I'm not saying you should date everyone. Right. I don't think that, like, I don't know, perfectness should be a standard by which we mm-hmm. decide. Yeah. Hope not. I don't mean we didn't decide that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading this this book. It's actually about Fortune 500 companies, but the book was Good as the Enemy of the Great. And the whole point was of the book, you know, oh, if you're just a good company, you're going to die. So you need to be great. And it was funny because one of my, my friends, Micah Joel, said, he's like, you know what? I feel like in romance, it's the opposite. Great is the enemy of the good. And I think there is some truth to that, um, that, that, that our reach for the ideal ends up compromising us, act- just actualizing a meaningful, good relationship. Yeah. Um, and so I'm definitely taking this away from me. Ambiguity, idealism, and then also yeah. that third thing you hit was shame as well. I think those are three really big pitfalls. This is awesome. This is cool. awesome. Before we go, um, is there anything else that you guys would love for everyone else to hear about? We never really got into the married side of things. We focused on the dating, which is totally cool. But if there's any last remarks uh, from any of that spectrum that you guys wanted to make before we go. I go first. Okay, well, I want to say something. Considering marriage, I would really hesitate to talk about experience in marriage because I've been married six months. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's fair. I don't, I'm not gonna have much to say other than that. I think our experience in marriage, as far as been, is is great. I think the people that get married and talk about how hard it is, is is fair. It's hard, but there's a good side to it too. It's silly to say there's not um, to to us at least. So your marriage is hard. It's fine, um, but we also have challenges. So there's good and bad, just like singleness. I think. Mm. Um, but the other thing I'd add, though, is we're talking about communities in which men and women can't be friends, which I think is fair. But I would say that I was part of a community in my undergrad that did that well, that men and women were close friends. Um, I wish I could pick out more what made it that way. Um, I think it is doable. I don't think it's like it's this hopeless state of our culture. I think it is doable. I think we had honest conversations. We removed shame, or we did our best to remove shame from the conversation, yeah. mm-hmm. which was pretty neat to see. Mm-hmm. That's all I got to add. Um, I think I would add that I think if we're in a different stage, like we're in grad school and we're older and there's more pressure, I think, from everyone. Like you go to holidays and people are like, so anybody you're interested in? Like, mm-hmm. are you dating anybody? <laughs> and I think oh, there yeah. is more of a pressure to get married at our, at the age we're at now rather than an undergrad because there is a shift in our culture, um, mm. even at Christian colleges. Um, so I think that was part of why we had such like a good experience of being friends with the opposite gender. Um, but for marriage, yeah, I feel like we're still learning. Yeah. <laughs> I really That's don't have any advice. Totally okay. Um, but we, you know, we've kind of, we haven't moved out of the, um, like we're both students. We have been in the same stage of life for our entire mm-hmm. marriage. So we haven't like moved away and gotten real jobs and, all of that. Um, and so I think 
just communicating well is what we need to keep working on because we're just mm-hmm. a conventional couple, you know? Yeah, and I like, what, <laughs> I like how you said that. We kind of, it's all about the integration of independence and dependence or whatever. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. You, how you described it was really healthy and really helpful. And I think that's kind of the boundary, the balance we've been walking. Mm-hmm. The other thing I was, I think you mentioned it, we talked about it before with this stuff, is like, I think our culture also always looks to what's next. So when you're mm-hmm. single, when you're getting married, but now that we're married, yeah. when are children or oh, when yeah. you're having babies, where are the babies? At? And then when your babies, like, well, when, when, where are they going to college? You know, where are they going to school? And so we're always looking at what next. So I think another mm-hmm. helpful element of this is just being happy of where we are mm-hmm. and just accepting what God has given us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and you know, looking forward, but but also just sitting. I mean, God is a God of. I mean, God is not a God where we, we're just happy when we get to heaven, but God is God cares about our time now. Oh, and he yeah. wants to give us peace. That's Especially as a third out. We've talked about that a lot. It's been come up today. I've actually been reading a little bit of um, Buddhist integration with Christianity. So yeah. People taking Buddhist practice, putting it into... Like Thomas Merton? Or... No, not necessarily. That's Christian practice. Christian practice. Yeah, Christian practice. But Christianity is such an expression of footprints. It's all journey. It's all travel. But we forget to have some butt prints in the sand. Places where you just sit down and appreciate where you are. And look around and say, wow, like this is beautiful. God has been mm-hmm. good. I'm in a good place in my life. No matter what your beliefs are, I think mm-hmm. that it's so important that you be able to just take a moment to sit down mm-hmm. and be like, hey, Ram is good. So whether mm-hmm. that is as a single person wanting to be married, a single person enjoying being single, newly married or longtime married, wherever mm-hmm. you are, man, I would just want to invite you to sit down and mm-hmm. put a butt print in the sand and say, hey, I'm going to take a look at where I am right now. Yeah. That's good. And I'll say kind of as a kind of final remark, you know, today is Ash Wednesday and I went to Ash Wednesday service earlier and, and had the Eucharist. And one of the things I love about the Eucharist is it means Thanksgiving. And um, I love the liturgy. It has this phrase, you know, by faith with Thanksgiving. And I think, you know, maybe a takeaway point is is living with gratitude for where we're at. You know, newly married, dating, single, married for a long time. Um, is just living with that profound gratitude of this is where I'm at. And I think that place of gratitude actually does produce a sense of security that is a rock for relationships, for those that enter into relationships. And so um, I think we can just say we're grateful. Let's be grateful. It's so Nako and Medicine for the People is a great band. They have a song called So Grateful. So Grateful. Shameless plug. Hey, thank you so much for talking with us tonight. This has been great. Yeah. I love you guys. Love you too, so man. Love you too. Hey. I feel yeah. good. I feel really good. I feel grateful. I feel, good. <laughs> I feel grateful. <laughs> so cheesy. Yes. You're definitely cutting it off. Thanks. Right. Thanks for listening. Now.